Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Merry still Christmas-ish. It's still it's a it's an impromptu mini Lazy Doctor Who marathon with the Mind of Evil parts one no two and three or episodes two and three. Think of its proper nomenclature. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I mean, we did watch episode one today, we so did. yeah, you're still right. Yeah, we did a podcast about it. Just in case you're following along at home, everyone, <laughs> or if you just randomly picked one episode yeah. of Lazy Doctor Who to watch, and it's this one. Yep, episodes two and three yeah. of The Mind of Evil. If you did randomly pick this one, this is uh, an episode where uh, um, uh, a spouse podcast team watched Doctor Who from the very beginning. From 1963, and here we are in 1971. Mm-hmm. Not in actual 1971. We're watching Doctor Who from 1971, but uh, there, there—that's the premise of the show. Sometimes it's good to just sort of reset the balance. You know, it's like episode 189, 189 of this podcast, yep. and people might not know. So there you go. Yep, that's that's what we do here. Yeah. So here we are on our red couch. Yep. Um, watching Doctor Who. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, what what did you think of of these uh, two episodes? The prison riots, the master is is unveiled, um, and so forth. Yeah, I feel like the plot is thickening, and it's 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 thickening quite nicely. Like mm-hmm. it's doing it's they're doing a good job of balancing sort of both sides of things. I was kind of surprised that uh, that everything came together so quickly, and I mean, I guess because I know it's a six part story mm-hmm. um but just determining that um uh, chin lee's uh, whatever weird earring thing uh is related to the keller machine and that that all both of those things weave together so early on uh was kind of surprising for some reason i was thinking it would take longer to to tie those two things together but no it's always um you know, because I grew up watching the omnibus versions on like Saturday nights on PBS, so watching it episodically for me is still like a relatively <laughs> new experience because I'm just so used to like I never know when things happen in which episode. I know it, when it happens in a story, but like I don't know when that is. And sometimes they get like, yeah, wow, the Doctor runs into the Master in like three of this, and that to me for some reason feels early for mm-hmm. the main hero and the main villain to be mm-hmm. meeting. And he figures out that it's the master. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so does the brigadier with, with a little bit of prompting yeah. from the doctor. Man, I'm really enjoying the brigadier in this. He slept in his office at his desk. And then the doctor, okay, you know, you were talking about how the doctor was super rude in episode one. I feel like he was the rudest in episode three, where not just the fact that, like, fine, if he walks into the office and opens mm-hmm. the curtains, that's no big deal. He brings a stranger into the office. So Chinley's just, like, staring at a sleeping brigadier, he has right. to wake up and like try to save face. Like, just doctor, how that's rude. Well, I don't think that he knew that the brigadier was sleeping when he got into the office. Okay, no, probably not. Yeah. But like, just just <clears throat> marching somebody in mm-hmm. without, I don't know, knocking or it just I don't know. It just seems very maybe weird. no one knew that. Uh, you know, they probably said you know it was the brigadier in his office, and Corporal Bell probably said, "Yeah, go right in. He's in there." I guess. I suppose. Yeah. Poor brigadier. It's urgent. There's stuff to do. He's he's just been working so gosh darn hard. He fell asleep at his desk. I feel I I just feel for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now like things are are going off the rails with the the this nuclear missile that also has nerve gas in it because. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Why not have everything? <laughs> it's an all in one. Yep. Dumping it to the bottom of the ocean, though. Mm-hmm. 
So that's safe. Oh yeah, sure. Not that's not going to hurt anything. Nothing. Um, but yeah, and then poor Benton not able to get it off the off the launch pad or whatever. Yeah, he has trouble with the uh, the crane to move the missile. Uh, he has trouble tailing Chin Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Googling in between last podcast and this one, uh, Radio Free Scarlet did indeed do a commentary. And we called the episode title more, more of Benton's Greatest Mistakes because apparently <laughs> this episode is just littered with them. So, yes, we did. And that was back in 2012. So that's probably, yeah, that was after we had met. And uh, so obviously we were probably watching it for that reason so we have we have come to to terms with with why you watched this episode randomly uh almost eight years ago yep yeah wow gosh that's a long time ago but uh but yeah like i feel kind of bad for benton because he the the only thing that he completely screws up is not his fault and actually that was back in episode one which i i forgot to mention uh i think it was episode one where uh he's tailing um Captain Chin Lee. That was episode two. Still, we yeah, are in this. Yeah, we're yeah. God, see, this is, this is doing two episodes at a time is tough. <laughs> uh, okay, so yes, but my favorite favorite moment in this entire story that I remember from the first time that I watched this is uh, one of those things that to me sort of harkens back to '60s Doctor Who and the way that it was staged. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> Benton is tailing her, and there's this uh, striped little tent. Um, that later the master, you know, pops into to to take his disguise off yeah. of. Uh, but for the moment, it's just it's just a, a handy thing there. So, so the camera is looking at this tent thing, and then mm-hmm. behind it, down the street, and you have Chinley coming up, and she's cap is she a captain, right? Do I? She's captain. Yeah. Okay. Um. So she comes up. Captain Lee comes up, and um hides behind it, so we can't really see her except for like a little bit of her head poking mm-hmm. out, and then. Down the road, past it, we see Sergeant Benton come around the corner and come towards the camera, yeah. which means he would be able to see her perfectly. And it's just one of those things where, because she's hiding from the camera, he's not supposed to be able to see her, uh, which is very 1960s Doctor Who. I remember in, in multiple episodes having somebody <laughs> just off camera, which meant that the person on camera can't see them yeah. because it was just, oh, it just makes me giggle so much. So, so that is the one moment where I feel like, oh gosh, Benton, what is wrong with you? Which again, not his fault, but it tickles me pink. No, but it, you know, I can understand that happening in a multicam studio situation when you're kind of like low and, re- and you're sort of having to do it semi live. I, I think one of the more infamous uh, instances is when Susan was hiding from a Vord, I think, you know, three steps away from her in <laughs> the Keys of Meredith. But this is film. You can sort of like be able to sort of cut around that. And, but, um, Maybe- Maybe they just didn't have time to do another take of this or in a film or something. Because really, like, you know, if the stage direction said she hides behind the tent, mm-hmm. uh, what actually should have happened was she should have come to our side of it. So we would have been able to see her hiding and like peeking around looking for Benton coming. And maybe she just misunderstood how that was supposed to work and did it wrong. And they just didn't have time to redo it or didn't realize until like I would like to think that somebody watching this after the fact did a big old face palm and went oh geez well I guess we just gotta let it go but at the time maybe it was just a confusing um 
blocking direction. That could be it. Things, let me tell you, well, we'll find out later on in this in this story, there are some issues with some location recording, uh, which leads to Timothy Coombe not working on Doctor Who anymore. Ooh. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to bring this up just because we're talking about film and uh, editing and, and just things flowing and everything like that. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Sarlacc pit sequence in Return of the Jedi, right? Uh, and, but there's a scene there. It's the scene, like basically, you know, Jabba goes, put him in. Luke's standing on the, on the plank of the skiff about to be thrown in the pit. And they say, put him in. And we, up to them, we've seen establishing shots basically of the guard, Weequay, uh, standing on the plank with him, sort of poking him in. You can see Lando in behind there in disguise and the other Weequay and like the guy who's controlling the skiff there. I've analyzed this a lot. <laughs> and then when they say, put him in, uh, all of a sudden, the sh- the next shot, which is a very short shot, is is that shot but reversed. Yeah. For some reason, it's now backwards, Weird. and Weequay is like pushing, like sort of like poking his stick towards uh, screen. I think left at that point, even though I uh, know right up to that point he's been pushing right because the next shot is of Luke sort of like jumping the opposite direction. So like I imagine they probably thought, well. If he's pushing, the guard is pushing to the left, and all of a sudden we cut and he's going to the right, it'll seem confusing. So they thought, let's just quickly flip the image around and hopefully no one will notice <laughs> that it looks weird, but the motion of the scene is better that way, but it, there's a glaring error in there. So sometimes, and that's probably just noticed in editing after the fact, and that's a big budget, multi-million dollar production. So sometimes these things happen. I guess so. Yeah, mm-hmm. or perhaps it was just dumb thinking. Well, if if the ostrich hides its head in the sand, then no one can see the ostrich. <laughs> that too. I suppose that 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 could work. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe manages to quell a prison riot, which is pretty freaking cool. Although, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it totally could have gone either way. You know, she yeah. but she she sees her chance. She makes her move, and it you know it works out great. And she's able to basically just hand the bad guys over to the governor when he comes through the door. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. I know. I would have liked to have seen because I was I forgot that that is when that uh, Joe taking the over happened. Because I would have thought, how is this meeting between the governor and Mailer going to go? The governor's going to stroll in there amongst his hot-headed prisoners and sort of just negotiate. I think it. Pretty ambitious of you there, Governor. Yeah, I mean, he does seem like a fellow who's kind of full of himself. Yeah. So maybe he would have been the kind of person who was just like, "Sure, I will. Right. I will just waltz in and and have a conversation with these guys, and then waltz back out because, of course, they're going to let me out because I'm the governor." It's almost like, oh, I suppose I'll negotiate. It's like, it's, this isn't like, oh, I suppose I'll take out the garbage. This is a little <laughs> more important than that, Governor. Well, maybe maybe to him it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The garbage being the prisoners. Oh, burn. Social commentary. Uh, William Marlowe, wife of Ferlanda Marlowe, who plays uh, husband of Ferlanda Marlowe, who plays Corporal Bell, uh, oh. plays uh, Mailer in this. And he forms one of my trifecta of great... Um, uh, ne'er-do-well performance in Doctor Who, this trilogy that started with William Dysart and the Ambassadors of Death, who played Regan, uh, and now he plays this. I just think it's just a gruff, realistic, um, down-to-earth portrayal, and I 
quite like him. I like him too. I actually kind of remembered him from the first time that I saw it. Uh, yeah, he's very just no nonsense and he knows what he's about and he's doing his job the way he wants to do it. And then like, it doesn't even look like the master has to hypnotize him at all. It's just like this guy, like he, he's, he's not dumb. He sees which way the wind is blowing. He's like, all right, this guy, this guy got us as far as we've gone now. So I'm going to keep on, keep on following him and, and doing what he says. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not at least currently getting ideas sort of quote unquote above his station um, because he recognizes that the the master's in charge and yeah because you know his it doesn't hurt that his own little uh, riot slash escape Mm -hmm. totally failed Um, yeah but they basically just take over the prison and I'm just we'll just stand in here and demand things I guess well it wasn't the whole prison it was just B-Wing yeah true mm -hmm, and the hospital there's another Star Wars reference there is it Oh, because a B wing is a is a, is a I was going to say a plane. Yes, it's a plane. <laughs> the look, <Fly> your plane. <laughs> the look on your face. Yeah, a plane. <laughs> Hop into the X wing plane and fly <laughs> towards the Death Star plane. Uh, God, suddenly I sound like my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so in the movie where they jumped in the planes? Oh, no, they wouldn't say movie. Oh. They show. Show. <laughs> yeah. A vaudeville show. <laughs> No, just oh. it, my grandparents always referred to movies as shows. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I like it when I don't think we ever had that many moments in Terror of the Autons where the Doctor and the Master sort of have a nice little sit down chat. So this feels like a first proper meeting, if you will, sort of on equal footing between the two. When I say equal footing, it's equal because the master's sort of in charge in the prison there. They just have a nice chat. The doctor sort of goes, oh, may I sit down? And that's sort of like, I just, I love uh, the doctor and master scenes in John Perrier or Doctor Who. I mean, I have... I have slightly mixed feelings about it. They are delightful to watch. Right. Um, their interactions are are great, and yes, like just the nonverbal communication there uh, between the two of them and their their banter and repartee. It's it's great. Um, but the master is terrible. He is a multi 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 murderer, and I just I don't know. Just the, the doctor, I feel like is too chummy with him, and it bothers me. Like, I just, I just can't get, I just can't get past that. So like, I, I, at the same time as I am enjoying their banter and their back and forth, I am also reminding myself that like, this is a horrible person who has killed many, many people. And uh, yeah, I just think the doctor just lets him get away with too much. I think he realizes that he is in no power to stop him at that exact moment. And for him to like, you know, if you harm one hair on her head and you're just like, okay, that went nowhere. So what's the point? This I'm not speaking his language when I'm sort of saying you're an absolute monster because he probably finds it flattering. So he'll respond with equal flattery and that'll sort of perhaps lower his guard a little bit. I guess. And I mean, I, this is probably also me looking at it from this end of time, mm-hmm. you know, here in, in 2019 and the low, the many decades in between where the doctor and the master have, you know, uh, also chummy, very, very friendly relationship. And yeah, like I appreciate how how they end with, you know, um, at this point, the, the ending with Missy mm-hmm. uh, and the doctor 
teaching Missy to kind of be good, but I also feel like the doctor probably shouldn't have done that either <laughs> because, right. yeah, the master's really hor- horrible. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But they were at school together, probably. Yeah, so, like, you know, if I went to school with somebody who turned out to be murdered, like, I feel like I would just not want to be friendly with them at all. To to really be cynical about the whole thing, it's kind of like how, you know, Ellen DeGeneres will sit at a football game and pal around with George W. Bush because there are no stronger bonds than those of class and perhaps <laughs> the doctor and the master of the, are of the same social status in Gallifrey that they they see the, the world differently. Or the fact that they are from Gallifrey puts them in that because, yeah, the doctor is, he has been exiled to Earth here mm-hmm. and this is the only... It is his only peer, yeah. actually. Like, yes, he is very good friends with the Brigadier, and yes, he is becoming good friends with Joe, but his only actual peer is is the Master, who is awful! Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like in The Last Jedi, and not at all The Rise of Skywalker, which I will not uh, utter plot details here, but about how, you know, uh, you can sort of tell that Rey and Kylo Ren are sort of like, you know they have a connection with each other because they are both like force sensitive or and jedi-ish and such and so it's difficult for them to sort of explain this weird connection they're having for each other during their little force skype sessions um but then you look at it i go why are you befriending the kyle red like had, had a whole few planets destroyed and stuff what's wrong with you ray I can't believe that you just used Star Wars to make me understand and like something better in Doctor Who. I just feel like that's totally backward considering my my general fandom. But right now I'm really excited about Star Wars. So, okay. I'm All right. I'm back on board. Yay. Yeah, we've seen uh, Rise of Skywalker twice. You mentioned that in the last podcast. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) Well... You did. Oh. Well, we did. Uh, we'll probably see it again um, in, in the next little bit. Not like a little bit like tonight, but... Uh, I mean, th- we could, but I'm too tired. I don't want... Listen, I am still working off the um, sleep that I lost from the crazy weekend of us going to see it at 11 p.m. Yeah. Uh, to, to make up for the fact that the 3D projector of her premiere screening was messed up a little bit and you had a podcast to do about it on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. So I'm still kind of tired. So I'm I'm okay with not going to late screening <laughs> showings. I'm almost 45 years old. Those are 20 years too late for me. Oh, that was that was painful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was it was less painful. It was less physically painful than the first viewing where the projector was messed up and mm-hmm. everybody everybody left the screening with a literal headache because yeah. the 3D was messed up so bad, and the projector bulb turned off six different times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not the greatest. No. Uh, Mind of Evil. It's fun. I'm enjoying this story again for the first time. Uh, how, how are you liking it? Yeah, I, I'm I'm liking it actually even more than I expected to. I think watching it in context makes a difference. In context how? Just, you know, in the context of the show. Because ah. before I, I watched it and like I... I'm sure I had probably seen another Joe episode or something, but th- you know, this is only her second story. Uh, this is only the second story with the master. Um, yeah, it's just it 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 reads differently knowing where it fits into sort of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like I have now gotten to know the third Doctor um, more throughout his you know in his dealings with Liz and the Brigadier and stuff in in season seven, mm-hmm. but. Uh, 
I think I find him less objectionable <laughs> because I've sort of gotten to know him slowly over time. Whereas when I watched this before, I was totally not digging him or Joe particularly either. Right. Uh, and this time, um, I like it better. Well, that's good. I also find it actually quite fascinating that we see the doctor's fear uh, mm. and how much the events of Inferno impacted him like you know he you could tell that he is really affected by it at the beginning of episode two at the resolution of the cliffhanger you know he sort of talks i just saw a world of you know just gone in fire and it's just like wow that's like kind of heavy for a doctor who to sort of acknowledge that fact you know i mean this has been a really heavy story in a lot of ways uh the, i mean i think episode one more than more than anything else just the I, I honestly I just can't get over them pulling what's uh what's in the Burnham Bur- Barnum Barnum okay um pulling him away to sedate him to to throw him under the weird like Tiffany hairdresser Tiffany yeah. lamp hairdresser <laughs> globe thing uh and then him screaming as it's happening it's just it's, it it hit me on a visceral level that I guess I'm not really used to from Doctor Who because. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, even if the performances are good, they're a little OTT, like yeah. just a little bit over the top and a little bit cartoonish because, you know, it's a show for kids and families. It's, it's, it's intentional, yeah. Yeah, and that performance was too real, man. <laughs> it was just too good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes there's real performances that cross over in classic Doctor Who that goes, oh, what a shockingly affecting performance and you think oh that's why because he's playing it very real and that's what neil mccarthy was doing there Mm -hmm. yep so yeah it's uh it's stark in moments and i feel like it's it's less so the you know the prison riots scenes and stuff they that's sort of more my comfortable level (laughs) of watching mayhem and violence you know yes they're actually you know they're shooting guards and they're falling down dead but as they're falling, they're grabbing onto the 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 barred door, and yeah. it's wiggling almost entirely out of its tracks. Uh, and it's you know it's it's just it it looks more fake, even though the things that are happening are honestly quite terrible. It's it's easier to handle. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're not seeing any bullet holes or any blood or anything like that when guards are getting shot. Or no, and they don't. I mean, their reactions are. I guess I happily i have never seen anyone get shot in real life yep. but i suspect that their reactions would not be <laughs> terribly like that just you know kind of freezing in place and then yeah. falling down it doesn't happen that way yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> just thinking of all the various moments of people getting shot on film and movies and stuff mm-hmm. and i just think schindler's list that was one of the more shocking things about schindler's list whenever people were shot, i just thought oh boy that looks I have never seen that, but I bet you that's what it looks like when people are shot down. And it was because I was grew up on action by havoc, and I'm just like yeah, like woo. Oh, you got shot in a stunt fall. Like if you're on a cliff and you get shot, you better be falling off that cliff because there's no point in falling back. You fall forward, um, and so that's the kind of typical Doctor Who action death that I've come to find comforting. Perhaps this is why Liz also finds this season of Action by Havoc uh, a warm cup of cocoa. <laughs> That is a very funny thing to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else with these two episodes you want to say before we move on? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so Keller Machine, mm. 
picks uh, scary things out of your psyche. Yes. Um, so like at the end, we see we hear the Daleks and we see the Cybermen yeah. and stuff like a that. War Machine in there too. Is that what that was? Yeah. Okay, I was trying to figure out what that was. Um, okay, so that all makes sense. That tracks. We've got the weird, um, not quite earring thing that sticks behind um, yeah. Captain Chinley's ear. And, and later the doctors at the end because yes. the master puts it on there. Yeah, That's right. Okay, so she is able to use that to channel the power of the killer machine to, for example, take Benton out. So mm-hmm. he um, he falls down and has a headache. Uh, she's able to use it to kill the Chinese delegate. And then she uses it on the American delegate. Yeah. And he, okay, so at the end of episode two, he <laughs> is seeing a dragon, a Chinese dragon. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, okay, it's a... Uh, it's a little weird that his deepest fear it happens to be a Chinese dragon, uh, and here's you know the the captain who's the attaché of the Chinese delegate. Okay, that's a, that's a little strange. And then the the brigadier and the doctor and th- like they come in the room and they all see mm-hmm. the dragon. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! What is happening now? Okay, so now I'm doubting that that was actually even the fear of the of that of the American guy in the first place. Did, so did she pick the form of the dragon or like what what's happening quite possibly because the doctor comes in because everyone sees it and it goes as a group hallucination but then in that case why when joe walks in on the doctor in the middle of all of the flames he looked like she told him you look like you were fighting with nothing she didn't see anything Maybe it changes maybe that change well, of course then you have to think why how did someone uh, drown in a perfectly dry room but still have water in their lungs how did someone die of rat you know mm-hmm. fearing rats when there are no rats in the room but he still has scratches on mm-hmm. so that perhaps there is some collective hallucination and the american delicate one is the only one that was directly manifested by the the little amplifier on chin lee's um temple there or, or, or back of her ear there so that could have made it different so it evolves in some way I guess, or changes, to, which I don't mind. I don't mind that because, you know, it's it's an evolving, that's what makes it powerful, I guess, as evil, is that it can sort of change what kind of evil is manifested. And so it shows that, or at least Chin Li perhaps amplified her own, like I can think of this ancient dragon from my from the, my people, as, uh, as Fu Peng says when they come in and use that against the American delegate. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's all right. Oh yeah, and then we also have the doctor speaking Hokkien. Sure. <laughs> I was. It was interesting to see uh, the doctor speaking another language and having it be captioned. Like we always we mm-hmm. tend to watch Doctor Who with the captions on, so we're watching the um, the the subtitles. Yeah. But this would these subtitles were hard coded, if you will, into the original show like has that happened before i don't think it's happened before no you know it's, it's the same font as the uh, closing episode credits too oh, i did not notice yeah. that i mean i noticed it was very different from from the yeah. closed captions but i want to say that uh boy oh boy it has not happened often in, in classic who i think the second time thinking off the top of my head is curse of fender in the last season mm. you know when they're speaking uh russian and we're seeing the english subtitles i think that's the only time wow fascinating i know and i mean at this point in doctor who history we have not gotten around to like the um tardis translation circuits like none of that has been explained nor will it more or less right so uh 
so yeah, it's just that the doctor knows, and he knows Cantonese as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently, John Pertwee doesn't though. Apparently, they he um, Christopher Cum, who played Fu Peng, I think, sort of coached him a little bit in saying some sort of you know mm-hmm. dialect coaches were perhaps not a thing yeah. as common as they were back in the early 1970s. So, um, and I mentioned this to you, but the Christopher Cum, the guy who played uh, Fu Peng appeared as a waiter in a Chinese restaurant in an episode of The Sandbaggers we watched last night. So, <laughs> Yay for crossover actors yeah. in shows that I love. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Pertwee was not quite speaking actual Hokkien or Cantonese in oh, those man. scenes. Probably not. That's that's sad. Well, I mean, it sounded like they were trying. I mean, it's not like they... It didn't seem like he was... that Like they were just making up syllables. Maybe they were? Or do you think they were? I don't know enough okay. about uh, the languages of China to to know, but I just remember reading the um, uh, the production notes when I watched the D. Yeah. Was thinking about John Pertwee is not speaking Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes me sad. That hurts my heart. I mean, maybe there were some maybe there were some things that uh, you know little mm-hmm. beats that he hit or something like mm-hmm. that. But um, yeah, it could be mm-hmm. fake. You know what? I mean, there's a part of me, though, that wants to appreciate that they recognize that China is a country that has multiple languages. So, like, I guess that's a tiny little feather in your sad, sad cap, Doctor Who. I suppose. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything else about uh, these two here at all you want to mention? Um... Not that I can think of, no. Okay, good. I'm glad you're enjoying the story, though. I am, too. Yeah, it's good. Well, good. All right. Well, until the next one, goodbye. Goodbye.